Starting off a new year, uh, I asked you guys on Sunday to be praying for me as I pray and fast this week for our vision. And I want to encourage you guys, as you guys have been praying for me and praying for our church, that um, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, I'll be sharing what the Lord's laying on my heart. But I want to just, since you guys come on Thursday nights, or some of you guys don't normally come, but you're here, I'm just going to give you a quick heads up. Start reading the book of Matthew, or the Gospel of Matthew. Um, if you can, read the whole thing before, not this Sunday, the following Sunday. and it'll, You'll get a little gist of the direction that the Lord's kind of leading us. So the Gospel of Matthew. And you can tell other people about it, but they should have been here tonight. And But you know. So I'm just giving you a heads up. So be on, be on guard. Um, but anyways, I'm just so excited about uh, just what God's going to be doing in this next year in our lives with us as individuals, with us as a church, with us in the community, and all of those kinds of things. Um, I don't think it's going to be an easy year. It's just going to be an amazing year, though. And so um, tonight, we're doing something a little different for those of you guys who don't normally come. We're Right now, we're covering uh, 2 Samuel. We've been going through, uh, last year, we covered all of 1 Samuel. We just started 2 Samuel. I invite you to come back, be a part of... Second Samuel, we're going through the life of David and so many different aspects that we can relate to in David. We normally try to do a, a chapter a week on Thursday nights, um, and so it just depends what the storyline is and how it goes, but I want to invite you to come and join us on Thursday nights. We have the youth group for the kids back there, so uh, just throwing that out to you. Um, as I was kind of thinking about tonight, I thought, you know... A man's got to know his limitations. He's got to know what he's gifted in and what he's not gifted in. And uh, I know the Lord has gifted me in, in certain areas. And, and I'm sure if the Lord had me do a prophecy perspective update, I'm sure I, I would do it. But it wouldn't come out the way I feel it could come out uh, when I have gifted men in our body sitting here that are so... Uh, blessed and gifted in this arena that the Lord has raised people up like that and so my heart is to be able to find gifts gifted people in our lives and and in our body and say hey man I can't do it that way but you could so maybe it's you and um, this man I kind of threw his name out there a lot he kind of got a little upset at me probably going man you put a lot of pressure on me Uh, but uh I know he won't disappoint. I know that because I know that the Lord has gifted this man. He's anointed this man to be able to share current events and just stuff that's going on in our lives. And the way he brings it across, um, I just, I, I literally love it. And so I can hear him all day long. So please welcome Math, uh, Mark Matthews. I said Matthews. Mark Matthews. You guys might want to hold that till I'm done. You, you may feel differently then. Uh, thanks, Zeke. I just uh, I just hope I can li- live up to the uh, to the hype here. Uh, well, anyway, good evening, church. Welcome to the uh, Calvary Chapel Feelin' 2016 prophecy prophecy update. We got a lot to cover tonight. We need to get right into it. But uh, considering what we're going to be covering tonight, we most certainly need to open this study with prayer. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity for your body to come together, Lord. And I just pray for each one of us here, Lord, as uh, I present this message. I just pray that you would just uh, help me, Lord, to present the message you want presented tonight. And then, Lord, help each one here to receive what you have for them in the message. And we're going to be touching uh, some, uh, some tough things, Lord, tonight. But Father, we do know that uh, that uh, wherever we go, wherever we're taken in this world, you have gone there before us. So let us just keep that in mind as we uh, go through this prophecy update tonight. We thank you for all your blessings. We love you. We praise you. We give you all honor in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> for any of you who do not know me, as he said, my name is Mark Matthews. My wife Tracy and I uh, and our family began fellowshipping here at uh, C.C. Phelan in 1990. I like to say way back in the last century, but that, that really wasn't that long ago. But 1998, 
And in the time since Zeke has become pastor here, um, I sort of got assigned as a resident prophecy guy. Uh, so that's why uh, Zeke says, Zeke said, I'm up here tonight. And I'm even, not even sure how that happened. It just kind of came about. Anyway, uh, I hope everybody had a great Christmas and you're having a good New Year's. Hopefully the update tonight won't ruin the New Year for you. Actually, I hope that it may uh, well end up improving it for you. The last prophecy update that I gave was in January of last year. Uh, as the overall world condition has not strategically changed much since that time, the update tonight will be, for the most part, somewhat of a continuation of that update. All these updates are based on the prophecy series that I presented at the end of 2013, titled Signs of the Times, Prophecy Perspective, which detailed the prophecy found in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. We're going to be spending time in that tonight, so if you want to turn to that, you can be prepared for it. As the uh, 2013 presentation was a very scripturally detailed series of studies that covered four Thursday nights, I'm not going to go over much of that ground in deep detail here again tonight. If anyone is interested in listening to that series uh, of teachings, they're available through the church office in CD form as well as being acceptable on the chur- uh, accessible on the church website at calvaryfeeling.org. My January 2015 uh, prophetic update is likewise available there. What I will do tonight is give you a synopsis in the form of a brief recap of the high uh, points of the perspective that I originally pre- uh, presented, followed by a more detailed summary of that perspective. Following that, I will also give a brief summary of significant current events that I see relating to this prophecy. As I go along in the detailed summary, I'm going to insert what I believe to be some relevant excerpts from Ezekiel 38 and 39 as well. So let me recap what the perspective itself is. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 detail what I believe to be a worldwide war which will result in worldwide social and political collapse, economic collapse also. Ultimately, this war may result in the total collapse of the current structure of civilization itself. That's a, that's a big statement, but I believe that if you really stop and consider what we're going to talk about tonight, you'll see where that could be quite possible. I believe that the rapture will occur sometime just prior to or during that war which, by the way, will probably be, probably be a very short war, lasting as little as a few weeks or perhaps even only a few days if it results in the use of WMDs, most likely nuclear ones, which I believe it will. To end that war, a peace treaty or a covenant will be negotiated. I believe that the Antichrist will be the one to negotiate that peace and that this successful negotiation will be the event that leads to the revealing of Antichrist as he rises up out of this worldwide chaos. The rapture must precede this event, as the Antichrist cannot be revealed until after the church is removed from the earth. It is the implementation of this covenant that signals the beginning of seven years of tribulation, This period is also known from the Old Testament as the 70th week of Daniel and is also referred uh, by uh, some as being the time of Jacob's trouble. The breaking of this covenant by Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation leads to the abomination of desolation, the event that itself leads to the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. You'll hear it, you'll hear it uh, referred to often in different ways. You'll hear the whole period be re, uh, called the Great Tribulation or the Tribulation. But actually, the Great Tribulation happens after the abomination of desolation and its last three and a half years. So that is the recap of the basic perspective. Now let's take a closer look at these events. 
There appears to be three worldwide wars uh, prophesied as still to come in Scripture. But be aware that that does not mean that there will not be other regional wars as well. I believe that there will be many regional wars, such as those foretold of in the book of Revelation. As of the last count, there are approximately 64 ongoing armed conflicts being waged in the world tonight as we speak. And with the situation between Iran and Saudi the way it is, it could be 65 before we get out of here. The first worldwide war we encounter in future prophecy is the Ezekiel War, which, as I have said, likely leads to worldwide political, economic, and social collapse. The war is detailed in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 starts when a confederation of nations led by, surprisingly, Iran and Russia attack Israel without warning. Let's take a look at the confederation members. And we're going to start in Ezekiel 38, verse 2. It says, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. Rosh is Russia. Meshach, which is probably Moscow, and Tubal, which most likely referring to modern-day Tobolsk, the regional capital of Siberia. So set your face against Rosh and Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against them. Verse 3, And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. Gog is the leader. And the Gog, the, the leader here may very well be Mad Vlad Putin, who's in charge right now, if we're as close as we think we are. Verse 5 continues the list of confederation members. It says Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, which means they're all prepared for war. So the first nation mentioned is Rosh, which is modern-day Russia. The second nation mentioned here in verse 5 is Persia, which, as probably all of us know, is modern-day Iran. So is this looking pretty familiar, like the nightly news here? Other nations that are involved in this confederation, as we've already seen, we've got, uh, we've got Libya with them. We're also going to see Turkey, Lebanon, along with possibly some Muslim-dominated uh, Eastern European countries, Bosnia and those kind of nations. Along with them will be uh, some or possibly all of the North African countries of, as I said, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, and probably northern Sudan. So these are all the people that could be in this confederation. Completing the confederation could be parts of Muslim black Africa, consisting of Ethiopia and possibly Somalia and perhaps even some others. It's interesting to note here, though, that Egypt is uh, not mentioned here in this confederation. You can refer to Genesis chapter 10 for a complete genealogy of the nations as God recognizes them. Just note that Genesis chapter 10 refers to them by their ancient names. And I did provide their modern identity in the original study, so you can go back and uh, access that. Looking at Ezekiel 38 verse 8 clearly identifies a restored nation of Israel being dealt with here. It says, after many days you will be visited. In the latter years, that's now, in the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. So all these people brought back is Israel, and that actually happened in Ezekiel 37. And you can read that and, and just see how that ingathering, the dry bones that came together, they formed the nation of Israel. Verse 9 says, You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. So this will be an unprovoked sneak attack upon Israel. Jumping now ahead to uh, verse 11 of Ezekiel 38. 
You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. This is speaking of Israel here. I will go, uh, Israel being attacked. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely. All of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. That, that particular verse does offer some difficulty as we know that Israel is living on a constant war footing. Uh, but this may simply refer to Israel as being a nation. But we'll look at that a little closer in just a minute. Verse 12 gives the reason why they're coming. And this, I think, especially um, uh, relates to Russia. They come to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Again, some view the idea given in verse 11 of Israel containing a peaceful people who dwell safely um, as perhaps being the result of a a war prior to the Ezekiel 38 war. A war uh, they see as being prophesied of in Psalm 83. A war resulting in Israel defeating all her neighboring enemies and conquering a landmass stretching from Sinai in Egypt to the banks of the Euphrates in Syria. This area is often referred to as Greater Israel and is seen as being the portion of land that God promised to Abraham. And if you read Psalm 83, it's a difficult psalm to get through and it's a difficult psalm to understand. So you have to really read it with prayer and uh, just ask for the Lord to give you uh, um, guidance in going through that. I address the pros and cons of this idea of a Psalm 83 war in detail in my 2013 perspective. Uh, my viewpoint is to be contrary to the issue. I don't believe that. I believe that we are so close to the Ezekiel 38 war that there is no time left for a prior war to take place. And even if there was enough time, there are not enough resources or population in the current nation of Israel to either occupy or administer such a large land area as that. Israel will have that land, they will have that area, but that will be in the millennial kingdom. One possible, other possibility that I see is that perhaps this dwells safely, may be referring to the possibility that Israel may have a false sense of security due to all her enemies being preoccupied with the war against ISIS. But that's just a conjecture on my part. <clears throat> Going now to Ezekiel 38, verses 19 through 22. And here I'm going to use the ESV translation because it's, it's, it gives us some clarity on this. Starting in verse 19, it says, In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down, cliffs will crumble, walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you on all the hills of Israel, says the Sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. That's an interesting phrase there. Uh, Will these guys end up fighting each other? Uh, That's not hard to envision when you look at the uh, those nations that make up this confederation because most of them hate each other almost as much, if not more, than they hate Israel. So that is also a possibility that these nation uh, armies uh, will turn against each other. He's, excuse me, Ezekiel 38:22 says, I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur. As I stated earlier, I believe that this war will result in a nuclear exchange at some level, and I believe that's what this is referring to. It could well be an all-out nuclear war. We don't know. And being nuclear, the war will bring on world economic collapse, political and social chaos. Nations will fall as a result of it, and the USA will probably be one of them if it hasn't fallen already. 
Moving ahead now to Ezekiel chapter 39, starting in verse 3. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. So God will cause the defeat of all these armies. They're not going to be successful. In verse 6, he says, And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. This also sounds like a worldwide nuclear exchange. And I believe in where it says those who live in the coastlands, I believe that that's talking about uh, England and America, Australia, those types of countries. So I believe this will be a, a, a totally worldwide nuclear exchange. With that, then, we now come to the aftermath of the war. So let's uh, jump ahead here to uh, Ezekiel 39, verse 9. It says, Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. These these weapons here, now remember... Uh, uh, Ezekiel was trying to explain the best way he could, seeing missiles and bombs and nuclear explosions. So he's trying to explain this the best he can. So I believe that this does cover a lot of this. Uh, the bows, the arrows, the javelins, the spears could well be ballistic missiles that we're talking about here. He, he says for seven years, and, and I want to briefly address this small and somewhat obscure phrase inserted here in verse 9. And again, I've, I've covered this in detail in prior studies, but some commentators attempt to place the war of Ezekiel 38 in the tribulation period. I believe that this phrase in verse 9 precludes that event. It's, it, it prevents it. Uh, for seven years is an interesting number. How long is the 70th week of Daniel? How long is the tribulation? For seven years. So that's an interesting. And, he, and God just doesn't insert stuff uh, in his word for no reason. If this prophecy was referring to Armageddon at the very end of the tribulation, what happens immediately following Armageddon? Well, we have the millennium. We have 1,000 years of Christ's rule on the earth. And that millennial period will be a golden age wherein Christ will rule over the entire world. And also in that period, it appears that all necessities of life will be made available in abundant supply by the Lord himself. It's going to be a perfect environment, socially, economically, uh, politically. It's just going to be a perfect environment. Therefore, in the millennium, Israel will not have to scavenge and unexplode nuclear weapons for fuel. Uh, which would then render the seven years mentioned here as being meaningless. And I don't think anything in God's word is meaningless. And for that reason, I view the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39 as taking place just prior to the tribulation. But even aside from that, the entire Ezekiel ward scenario just doesn't seem to fit in the tribulation uh, time frame. They just don't seem to fit with each other. Going now to Ezekiel 39, 11 through 15. This also deals with the aftermath of the war and again suggests that this will be a nuclear war. It says, It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea. I believe that's probably talking about the Dead Sea. And it will obstruct travelers because there, will be, there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore they will call it the Valley of Hammon Gog, which means multitude of God. Uh, if, if, God if Putin is really Gog, I'd be really worried about this time, because this is going to get buried there. Ezekiel 39, verse 12 says, for seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Verse 13, Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed. These are going to be professionals. 
that are going to be set apart here. With the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. Verse 15. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bones, he shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have have buried it in the valley of Ham and God. These are very precise procedures that are being set forth here. And as a matter of fact, these procedures being set forth here sound like they come right out of a nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare handbook uh, of uh, cleanup procedures. Uh, So again, I think this is referring to probably nuclear, could be biological, but I don't think so. I think it's going to be nuclear. And to reiterate once more, if that's so, the most likely result of any use of any type of NBC war, uh, weapons of mass destruction in a war, especially of nuclear weapons, would be the total collapse of world economies and the world's entire social structure. Civilization itself would be uh, teetering on the brink. That would be a prime environment from which the Antichrist could rise to power. And I do believe that Antichrist will rise out of the chaos and upheaval of that time. I believe that it will be the successful negotiating of the peace treaty ending the war of Ezekiel 38 that leads to the Antichrist being revealed through both the pow- his power of his persuasion as well as through his great charisma. This guy... This guy is going to be a superstar. He'll be a superstar. A peace treaty that will include a covenant with the Jewish nation that will bring a seemingly lasting peace. And we have to understand that lasting peace is what most Jews long for the most. Most Jews are secular and could could not care less about the Temple Mount, about temple worship, or the temple itself. They just really don't care. It is the promise of a lasting peace that will lead the Jews to agreeing to this covenant with Antichrist. But this covenant will also serve to reestablish both the Jewish temple on the Temple Mount as well as temple worship, including animal sacrifices. I don't think Peter's going to be happy with that, but they'll just have to deal with it. Again, it will be this peace treaty, this covenant, which leads to the rise of Antichrist uh, from the worldwide chaos, thereby signaling the start of the seven-year tribulation. That is the event that signals the tribulation. I also believe that it will be the breaking of this treaty, this covenant, along with the Antichrist or his image. And if you read Revelation, you see it might be a, an image that's placed but we'll find it standing in the Holy of Holies proclaiming himself God and that will bring on the great tribulation the last three and a half years uh, of the seven year tribulation. If all this I just presented is correct, the rapture must occur somewhere prior to or during the Ezekiel 38 war. The church will be raptured during this time of tumult and chaos and the world would hardly uh, take note of the event. As a matter of fact, they would be very happy just to be rid of us. And once again, note that it is the uh, implementing of this covenant that will signal the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. And we get that out of the book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel. I want to touch on that just a little bit. It's Daniel uh, chapter 9, verse 27, and it says this. Excuse me. It says, Then he, and that's speaking of Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with the many. That's an ancient term for Israel. He will uh, confirm a covenant with the many for one week, and that's a week of years is what he's talking about. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end and... uh, bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. 
even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Again, this breaking of the covenant by Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation is what leads to the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation. The new, tribu- uh, the new living translation gives us a clearer understanding of this verse in Daniel. And I'm going to reread it out of that because I think it will give you a clearer understanding of what Daniel was saying says the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, seven years. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. He's going to break the covenant. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, and this guy is going to be bad news right from the beginning, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration or abomination until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. I believe that the word of Ezekiel 38 is the gateway which leads to the revealing of Antichrist, as well as to the beginning of the tribulation, the tribulation itself being what will eventually lead to the final judgment on the Antichrist. So in the end, this guy gets his. So to recap this all one last time, because I want you to have it clear in your mind what I'm presenting. The Ezekiel World War leads to worldwide collapse and chaos. The rapture will occur sometime prior to or during that war. The resulting peace treaty, or covenant as it's called in scripture, that ends the war brings on the rise of Antichrist in the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. The breaking of that covenant by Antichrist after the first three-and-a-half-year period leads to the abomination of desolation and to the Great Tribulation, which is the last three-and-a-half-year period of the seven-year tribulation. So that was my perspective then. It's my perspective now, and it's how I believe all this will play out in the end times. Now, if someone here sees in Scripture a different way for this to work out, If you see a different scenario happen, please let me know. I'd love to discuss it with you. Uh, But for myself, right now, today, I don't see any other way that this thing is going to go. But again, I could be absolutely wrong on that. But with all that said, let's briefly look at some current events. uh, And we'll focus on Russia, uh, ISIS, and America. And we'll touch on Iran, too, a little bit. Let's start with Russia because they've been very prevalent in the news lately. Russia was a topic of discussion in my 2013 perspective as well as my 2015 update since they play such a prominent role in in biblical prophecy. These guys just always seem to be on the wrong side and and leading the wrong wrong, uh, crusade. Uh, Not a whole lot has changed strategically with Russia Uh, in the last year. Russia still has the same objectives in the Middle East. Some of those objectives. Russia wants to reestablish a major Middle Eastern presence. Russia lost influence in the Middle East in the mid-1970s. Russia also plans to establish additional military bases in the area. Right now they've got a seaport uh, in Syria and that's why they're fighting so hard to keep Assad in power there. They, they may say that they're going down to fight ISIS, but they're really there to fight the anti-Assad rebels. Uh, Russian military forces allied with Iran uh, and have gone into Syria, as I say, supposedly to fight against ISIS, but to support Assad and keep him in power. And regarding Iran, uh, Russia and Iran, uh, the Soviet Union was the first nation to recognize the Islamic Republic of Iran after the fall of the Shah of Iran in 1979. So they have a long and friendly history with each other. Russia is also Iran's major source of military weapons. They also have several um, peace treaties, uh, not peace treaties, but military treaties military assistance treaties uh, between the two of them. So that, along with uh, the chance to get some uh, much-needed catch, is going to be the hooks that's going to draw Russia. Well, that is drawing Russia down there right now. 
<clears throat> and again, uh, let's talk about that a little bit, this, this, this need of Russia for uh, currency. Due to the current low energy price, Russia is looking for sources of additional revenue, uh, such as getting the additional oil fields down in Syria, Iraq. Um, you know, they'd love to have Saudi Arabia too, uh, actually. And they'd love to take over Israel. Israel is an economic prize down there. They'd love to have that. On December 16th, t uh, 2014, uh, the Russian economy basically collapsed. Uh, Russia, its whole economy is oil-based and uh, energy-based. And in order for Russia to pay her bills, oil has to be in the neighborhood of 110 to 115 dollars a barrel. Uh, right now, oil is going about 48 dollars a barrel. So you see that Russia is having a real hard time right now. They need cash and they need it badly. So if you have only one commodity to sell and uh, you have a limited amount of that commodity and the price falls, well, what's your options? Basically, find some way to get more of that commodity to sell. And I think the Middle East is what they're looking at for that. Russia also has some worldwide um, objectives. Uh, or Putin really has some worldwide uh, objectives. He seeks reestablishment of the empire, the Soviet empire. The retaking of the Ukraine and of the Baltic states, as well as the testing of and he hopes the eventual destruction of NATO is one of their major objectives. Russia is also seeking worldwide expansion of influence, uh, mostly in the Caribbean and South America, Cuba, Central and South America, Venezuela. Uh, I, I forget which other one is now kind of going with them. I think it's one of the South American countries, uh, also another one deeper south. So they're seeking worldwide expansion of their influence. They want to uh, get bases established in the Caribbean. They've always sent ships to start patrolling in the Caribbean, which they've never done before. And uh, in the last year, two years, there's been many, many uh, intrusions of Soviet aircraft into NATO airspace and into American airspace. So they are testing us. ISIS. Let's talk about ISIS for a bit. While ISIS has suffered some recent ground war setback, its overall holding, uh, it's, it's, it is overall holding its own militarily against the West. Um, it is always also alternately continually to successfully recruit followers and expand its ideology and religious fanaticism worldwide and they're using social media to do that. And this is a strategy which the rest of the world so far has, find, has found impossible to counter. Other recess, uh, recent ISIS events include the bringing down of the Russian airliner in Egypt, the two attacks in Paris, and of course closer to home, the attack in San Bernardino. One thing we need to note here is that there is, in reality, no way to successfully guard against uh, those types of lone wolf attacks like San Bernardino, except by destroying ISIS. These lone wolf attacks will probably continue and increase in scope and intensity, so you can expect to be seeing that in the news. Prophetically, it appears to me that ISIS is the instrument that God is using to set up the Ezekiel scenario uh, in the Middle East. Um, but other, other uh, references to them in Scripture is really unclear. They could be part of the Confederation also that attacks Israel. Let's talk about the USA. The first thing that can be said about the USA is that under the Obama administration, we have basically no official strategy for destroying ISIS. On December 18th, just before uh, leaving for a two-week uh, end-of-the-year vacation in Hawaii, we certainly wouldn't want to interrupt that, President Obama gave a news conference in which he laid out his top priority items for 2016. 
The top priorities consist of the TPP trade agreement, closing Guantanamo Bay, gun control legislation, and climate change, climate energy legislation. Those are his top priorities. Other priorities mentioned were reforms to the criminal, uh, criminal justice system, the uh, opioid epidemic, that's the abuse of painkillers and the use of cheap heroin that's being brought across the southern border, which we probably don't hear a lot about it here, but I guess in the East Coast and up in the Northeast, this is just out of control. This is a real big problem. Uh, and finally, issues relating to poverty and economic mobility. Those are his priorities for 2016. Did you notice anything missing, uh, such as Islamic terrorism in general and ISIS terrorism in particular? How about homeland security or border control? And what about Russia? The Obama administration is completely out of touch with the current realities of life. Under the Obama administration, the USA has basically uh, abrogated our position as leader of the free world as well as our position as the singular world superpower. But have no fear, Russia is quite happy to take our place, and they are doing that. And while the U.S. is currently somewhat cooperating with Russia and Iran against ISIS, we are probably closer to the possibility of a nuclear confrontation with Russia than we have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of 1962. During a recent meeting in the Kremlin, Kremlin's defense ministry told Putin that for the first time, caliber conventional cruise missiles had been successfully fired by their submerged Mediterranean Sea-based Rostov-on-Don submarine. That was the first time they had managed to launch cruise missiles from a submerged position. The Rostov-on-Don also carries nuclear-armed crews as well as nuclear-armed ballistic missiles. Vladimir Putin then made the comment that, and I'm quoting him here, uh, he said, I hope that nuclear warheads will not ever be needed to deal with either ISIS terrorists or anyone else. You all guess who the anyone else is. <laughs> Talk of World War III has been prevalent in recent news reports. And it's not just by the crazy people. Uh, along with several well-known news commentators, King Hussein of Jordan spoke of the world being on the verge of World War III. I personally believe that the War of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 38 will be World War III and that we are not only on the very brink of that war, but we are already engaged in it. Finally, America's relationship with Israel remains at an all-time low. And then, of course, there is the nuclear agreement with Iran, which is not really even an agreement, and which Iran has already broken. A few concluding notes about America. Regarding the San Bernardino attacks, a neighbor failed to call police regarding suspicious activities by the couple because she was, quote, afraid of being accused of racial Subsequently, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, our Attorney General, Obama's Attorney General, said that her greatest fear is the unjust treatment of Muslims through racial profiling. I would think her greatest fear would be the murder of American citizens at the hands of Muslim fanatics, but apparently that's not her greatest fear. We are living in a period of chaos and insanity in this nation. In the end, Putin may not need nuclear weapons to defeat America. Political correctness may do it for him long before that. Finally, regarding the presidential election, you may ask who I believe will win. 
I don't really think it matters. And personally, I don't really care who it is. It is fun to watch, though. Uh, But as to who wins, I believe that we are so far along in God's final program that no matter who wins, the America that we once knew is gone. And it is crucial that we understand this. It's crucial, guys, that we understand this. It is never coming back. It is never coming back. We as Christians are mistrusted by our government. Our government sees us as being ignorant, backward, and superstitious people. It looks at us as a terrorist threat. It despises everything we believe in and stand for. And it especially hates the God we serve and what he represents. Now, also understand, by the the use of the term government, I'm not talking about either the president or Congress. Because these guys come and go. I am speaking of the vast army of faceless bureaucrats, federal, state, and local. The countless lifelong government employees who never leave. They never leave office and who in actuality run government. These are the people that have been educated in the liberal academic system. These are the people that hate and mistrust us. Jesus told us that they, would, that they hated him and that they will hate us also. And guys, they really do. We are really in a real precarious uh, position right now. For the first time in our history, we have an uh, administration in, in, uh, in Washington. A, a lot of administrations gave lip service to Christianity. For the first time, we have an administration that is actively pursuing a program of uh, destruction against Christianity. Besides that, do you really believe that any of these people running for president could ever really make a difference? None of them have any clues of what is going on in the world. They do not see the spiritual component that is directing world events right at this time. And that component is spiritual warfare. And a lot of these guys claim to be Christians. A lot of them do. And I'm not, I'm not doubting their salvation. But they are biblically illiterate. They have absolutely no clue what prophecy says about this period. The one thing that I will say about the election is that whoever does get elected, it will be God's choice and will serve God's purpose, whatever that purpose may be. Always remember one thing. It is God who is in control. He always has been, and he always will be. And that is why whatever happens, we are going to be okay in the end. Now, one thing, don't think I told you not to vote. You must vote. You have to vote. And I'm not telling you that. Jesus told you that. Jesus said at one point, he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. Well, one of the things that is, belongs to Caesar is your vote. We have the responsibility to be good citizens. And in a democracy, that means you vote. Now, that doesn't mean you have to vote for anybody for president. You could pass that along altogether. There's also third-party candidates you can, you can vote for. But also remember that there are a lot of important issues on these ballots besides voting for a president or a congressman or a mayor or whatever. There are a lot of issues. There are a lot of... Uh, referendums come on these ballots that affect our lives, affect our children's lives. So it is absolutely essential that you vote. So just just a sidebar there. Two other topics that we covered in the 2015 update were the then-current Ebola outbreak, and also we talked a little bit about Israel. Regarding Ebola... 
That outbreak seems to be currently under control. Nonetheless, the danger of biological warfare by terrorists still exists. Just as Iran would not hesitate to use a nuclear weapon should and when it gets one, uh, any, uh, uh, neither would ISIS or any other uh, Islamic terrorist group fail to use biological weapons if they become available to them. You might also want to check out one uh, other biological item. There's another superbug that has risen up in the world. And I, I didn't know about this until um, just last month. It's called the MCR1 gene. And it is a gene that piggybacks on certain bacteria. And it is so resistant to the strongest antibiotics available that is practically immune to any antibody treatments that we have. It also makes the bacteria that carries it immune to those antibiotics also. Those carrier bacteria right now include E. coli, salmonella, and pneumonia. There are few, if any, alternate treatments for this supercharged forms of these infections. One expert in antibody research stated that the antibody-resistant nature of this bug, and I'm going to quote him here, he says, excuse me, he says, makes it almost like going back to the pre-antibody area when people would die from a simple cut. And this is only one of several superbugs that are existent in the world today. Finally, let's talk about Israel. They are still as quiet now as they were in, my, uh, in the beginning of 2015. But as I said back then, even when Israel is quiet, Israel is working covertly, uh, covertly to ensure its existence. So again, I will say, always keep watch on Israel. It is God's time clock for the universe. Everything that takes place in end-time prophecy centers around Israel and Jerusalem. All this that is going on in the Middle East right now, ISIS, Iran, Russia, in the end, this all revolves around Jerusalem and Israel. My overall exhortation for you is to keep watching and pay attention. This is all playing out right now uh, before our eyes in the nightly news. As a matter of fact, I got a list here of the uh, events this morning that were mentioned in the, in the, in the, in the news. And I just want to touch them briefly. There was, a, there was a story about the Jihadi University. It, it's ISIS has a university that they put together, a training school, really, where they uh, are training terrorists in the use of, of weapons. And uh, what they're doing there is they're taking old, uh, unexploded, used bombs, stuff that's decades old, and they're refitting it. And they're refitting some of those old missiles with uh, infrared systems uh, and heat-seeking systems so that they can be used to bring down aircraft. They've also got another interesting thing they're doing. They're making uh, driverless uh, car bombs. They have, uh, they, they've come up with a technique to put a mannequin in a, a car. And through electronics, they're able to use that mannequin to drive the car. They've also put sensors in the mannequin so that it will give off a heat signal as if it were a human being being in there. And they're planning on using these. Other things in the news. North Korea supposedly uh, exploded a hydrogen bomb, which would be a, if that's true, would be a great step for them um, to be a, a full-blown nuclear power. The Iranian embassy was bombed in Yemen, and they are accusing the Saudis of course, we know that with the, the death of the cleric, they're on uh, almost a war footing right now. There are reports of an Iranian underground missile depot that harbors a missile capable of carrying a nuclear warhead. That's been unknown until now. This was an interesting uh, news story this morning. Sexual assaults across Germany. It turns out that on New Year's Eve, Almost a hundred German women were assaulted 
and uh, raped, sexually assaulted and raped, by uh, evidently groups of Muslim men who were uh, just going around the city, just looking, I guess, looking for people to attack, women to attack. It turns out that of the perpetrators that were arrested, almost all of them were uh, refugees, current refugees. World events are escalating at a rapid pace. How long until these things come to a head? We don't know. How long will it be before someone does something even more stupid than what they've already done? And by the way, just so you know, financial markets are in free fall all over the world tonight. Civilization is already crumbling. Imagine what will happen in any type of worldwide war. So, welcome to 2016. That concludes the prophetic part of this update. So what does all this mean to us as Christians? How are we to react to what is happening in the world? What should we do? Well, one thing we are not to do, we are not to fear. We are not to be afraid. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul told Timothy this. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Of all the people in the world today, we as believers should be both the sanest and the least fearful people on earth. As to not fearing, 366 times, Scripture tells us in one way or another, fear not, but do not fear. That's one time for each day of the year. And since there's 366 of them, that means God took in leap years too. Uh, so for us, fear is not an option. Besides, as I said, we know who's in control, don't we? So we are not to be fearful. What should we be? Well, I think what we should be is excited. I think that we should be very excited right now. The early church taught a doctrine called the doctrine of imminence. The teaching that Christ can return at any moment and snatch his church out of here. The apostles taught that. The early church fathers taught that. They all taught that. They expected the rapture to occur at any moment. And they were excited about that. And it was that excitement and hope and expectation which governed their walk, their lives, and their relationship with Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the line, I, I just get the feeling that the church today seems to have drifted away from that belief, that expectancy. I believe that for the most part, we, the modern-day church, embrace the rapture intellectually. I'm just not so sure that we embrace it relationally. We may well embrace it with our mind, but do we truly embrace it with our heart. Does the expectation of the Lord's immediate return govern our life, our walk, and our relationship with Jesus? If you ask some Christians what they believe about the rapture, they'll tell you that yes, they do believe the rapture is coming eventually. But many give the impression that they don't really expect Jesus to return at any moment. They would tell you that they expect him to come someday, just however, not this day. In Peter's second epistle, he refers to unbelievers as scoffers. Scoffers are those who say, hey, you guys have been predicting this stuff for forever and it never comes to pass. Those are unbelieving scoffers when it's talking about Christ. But can we be, uh, be un uh, believers, be scoffers when it comes to the rapture? I think maybe we can be sometimes. I think we need to be careful about that. Uh, what I want to do now for the remainder of our time tonight is to look at why I believe that we should be excited. As well as why it's important that we once again embrace the doctrine of imminence. By the way, the belief that Jesus can come at any moment is at the heart of premillennial rapture theology. That the idea that the rapture will be pre-wrath is based on that. Tonight in our update, we touched on several current events. We talked about wars and rumors of wars. 
We talked about pestilence. We didn't talk about natural disasters, such as tornadoes or earthquakes or droughts or floods, but we, we certainly could have because those are in the news too. Someone who is familiar with prophecy could look at that list of events as being precursors of events recorded in the book of Revelation. And they would be right. Those things are all in the book of Revelation. But tonight, I'm not going to go to the book of Revelation. I'm going to use another portion of prophetic scripture instead. I'm going to use uh, a scripture that uh, comes from no less than the very mouth of God himself. I want to look tonight at Jesus' very own commentary on the end times. Do you know Jesus put together a commentary on the end times? He did. There is a trilogy of chapters in the Gospels that, when taken together, comprise the Lord's commentary on the end times. Those three chapters... uh, I'm sorry, those are three chapters that we all should be very familiar with because of the time we're living in. They also provide us with very insightful information regarding both the tribulation and the rapture. The three chapters are Matthew chapter 24... Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. Our understanding of these three chapters is essential to our understanding of current events as well as end time events. We don't have time to look at Jesus' complete commentary, of course. That would take uh, several sessions. But I do want to look at the part I believe is most relevant to us tonight. Uh, It's the part regarding the rapture, and I think that's the part we should be very excited about. If you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to look at verses 6 to 8. Matthew 24, 6 says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Wars and rumors of wars. And there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. The Greek word used for earthquake there, by the way, is seismos, which not only means a violent shaking of the land, it also means a tempest or a very violent storm. These events sound very familiar to what we just talked about tonight. Verse 8 of Matthew 24 uh, is a, a very key verse. It says, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. Well, what does that have to do with the rapture? Let's continue by turning to the second chapter in the trilogy. Let's turn to Luke chapter 21. This is another um, rendition of the Lord's commentary. And uh, Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, I think, is a very key verse there. The Lord said, Now when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws nigh. The word there for redemption means deliverance or salvation. Is there any doubt in your mind that we are indeed seeing the beginning of these things? There is absolutely no doubt in my mind. Jesus himself told us that when we see these things begin to take place, our deliverance is following closely behind. The rapture is soon to follow, is what he's telling us. That's Jesus' words, not mine. Right now, we are on the brink of the Ezekiel War, not even considering the other 64 wars that are already, already raging in the world. Pestilence is already amongst us. And the forces of nature seem to be on a rampage throughout the earth. And that's why I believe that we should be excited tonight. That's why I believe we should be expecting the rapture at any moment. I don't think that we have all that much time left here. What do you think? Let's stand as we close in prayer. So far tonight, we touched on two of the three chapters of the prophetic trilogy. Uh, In closing, I would like to leave you with uh, something from the third and final chapter of the trilogy, and that's in Mark chapter 13. 
The following verses give the final instruction that Jesus gave the church regarding his commentary. Jesus concludes his commentary telling us this. He says, It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Well, Jesus has gone to a far country, hasn't he? Verse 35, he said, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Verse 37, And what I say to you, I say to all, Watch. Jesus' final instructions are to watch for him. So we better be watchful, and I think that we better be expecting him, lest we be found among the scoffers. So is the rapture close? I've given you my perspective. I believe that it is. Now it's up to you to consider all this information and decide for yourself what you believe, and then conduct your life accordingly. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your prophetic word, which truly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Continue to guide our way as we travel your timeline to eternity. Help us to rightly discern the signs of the time. And Lord, we don't know for certain if this is the day that you will return for us. It could be. We don't know if this is the month that you'll return for us. It could be. We don't know for certain if this is the year that you will return for us, but it could be. But what we do know with certainty is that you will be returning for us someday, and that day appears to be very, very close. To that, we can only say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come and take us home. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Keep looking up. It's close.